Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Recent changes within the makeup of the highest court of our land, the Supreme Court, has brought renewed interest in where we're headed as a nation. Today, Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, examines how those changes may affect future legislation. Lincoln, what do we need to know? Well, I think people generally need to know what the Supreme Court is. Yes, yes. Uh, There was an interesting interview that our uh, new president gave the other day. Uh, he's a fellow that's been in public eye a lot, not in government, but he's been around a lot of politicians. And as he said himself, he's he's given money to a lot of them. He probably says privately he's paid off a lot of them. He knows how to <laughs> make government work. But yet, when he gave an interview, he said he had no idea what the office involved. Now, that's sort of scary, <laughs> but I know that it's not untypical because yeah. millions and millions, tens if not hundreds of millions of Americans don't have any idea of how the government really works. It's well proven they don't know the Constitution. In fact, the surveys that I've seen between elections, only a minuscule proportion of the population can at any given time name the sitting president. Mm -hmm. Probably at the moment they know Trump. He's sort of got more press than most. But whether they know who the Supreme Court members are, I don't know. And what does the court do? If they read the popular press, the alternate news press, according to the the president and others, they might think that the Supreme Court at times aspires to be the ruler, ruling body of, of this country. But it's worth remembering that the framers of the Constitution, the founding fathers, copying England in many ways, set up three branches of government. There was the president, which is the executive branch, he and those that he appoints, but he's the one that's elected. There are the legislators made up of the congressmen and the senators, two houses designed to be in constant conflict. (laughs) (laughs) By design, yes. (laughs) Yeah, and and to basically thwart each other's attempts at rushing laws through. Uh But they are one aspect of government. And then there is the judicial. And uh, the real role of the Supreme Court, the judiciary, is not what people think of as the judges locally. You know, you commit a crime and you go before a judge and and he hears your case and then hands down the law. And there are levels of that. You know, you get convicted by the local judge, then it can be uh, referred, especially during appeals, to the next level. And there's actually three levels, I think, before the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court itself is a little bit different. It sits there and cannot do anything of itself. Hmm. This talk that I hear all the time about the court legislating from the bench, to me, they don't understand how it works. They can't just sit there and make laws. They can't decide an agenda. The agenda is given to them. It's the court cases that bubble up in appeal from below. And uh, there are many, many such things. They can't take all of them. But from that, they choose things that I believe they choose them because they have larger ramifications. And out of their decisions on particular court cases, they are putting a flavor, if you like, on the interpretation of existing law. But they don't pass law. They can, on occasion, decide that a certain law itself is unconstitutional, 
but that's a nullification. That isn't passing a law. And if they do that and the legislature uh, is upset, they can pass another law and take their chances again. Lincoln, when they're doing this, when they're sitting there and they're passing these laws, do they have an agenda? Does the Supreme Court get together in, in closed conferences someplace and say, look, let's, let's move our entire nation in this direction or that direction? They do have regular meetings, but they're relating to cases. And I don't think they conspire together because they're, they're full of all sorts of factions. And That's true. Not least of which the factions that put them there. But since they have tenure, once they're there, other than great malfeasance or, or, or abuse of power or incompetence where they can be impeached and removed, they're there for life. Mm-hmm. So they're largely insulated from uh, political pressure once they're there. And, and, and I keep telling groups when I'm talking about this, the record of someone put in by a certain faction of them then routinely promoting that faction and supporting that view is pretty spotty. Mm-hmm. There's any number of them that go in from a liberal faction and turn out to be conservative or the other way around. And I don't think they have a bad record. There are some pretty bad illustrations, but overall they're generally quite conservative in the best sense. Obviously, there's the Dred Scott case. Horrific, where they uh, waded into slaves had to be returned to their owners and that sort of stuff. And I myself hate the Citizens United case. Uh, only a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, where they determined that corporations have the rights of individuals. I don't think they were necessarily wrong, but it's a horrendous case because they were extracting some of the inner meaning of the Constitution where there was slavery and, and a mentality that worked itself out eventually in, in laissez-faire business and, and the robber barons and so on. Thankfully, we've had some relatively liberal-minded judges who have tried to take the freedom principles of the Constitution and move beyond that. But what's bad at the moment? And this is what we need, you and I need to talk about. Right. The conservative element who have been gnashing their teeth for eight years under the last liberal democratic presidential tenure, they want to change many, many things. And you can see that in President Trump's executive orders, which are really ephemeral things. He's using a power that wasn't directly granted, but has been assumed by the president. But it's a power that will vanish in a moment in the face of legislation or Supreme Court action. And the stated aim of the conservatives is to stack the deck. And we saw how determined they are on this because they uh, refused to confirm Merrick Garland, the candidate of the outgoing president, which was totally legal. One year before the election, they just said they weren't going to put him in because they could taste victory within one year. They were going to get their own guy in or uh, at least compromise the process. And so they stuck out. And we have instead Neil Gorsuch, who seems a passable guy to me. I don't see anything great to object to him. You know, I mean, he's he's a well-tested justice. But he's part of a plan where they, by public statement, want to undo as many as, I think it's 120 previous Supreme Court decisions. And they may well get the chance as test cases bubble up toward the Supreme Court. And if if you have a very well thought out plan of attack, different groups, special interest groups, corporations and that can actually precipitate legal action or civil suits with the plan to work it up to the Supreme Court and give them a chance to take an action that will effectively change the winds of legal opinion. 
Are you thinking that uh, there are two major goals that this conservative party has, and that, of course, is gay rights and also Roe v. Wade reversing that? Is that really what's behind this and driving their thoughts every day? Well, yes and no. Those are two main ones. But like I said, it's 120 or so things in the past they object to. They've been very unhappy about the whole liberal agenda. And and the battle, as it was stated a few years ago, you don't hear it much lately, were between the originalists, of which Neil Gorsuch is supposedly one, and his idol, he stated himself that his model was uh, Antonin Scalia, was another originalist. So the battle is between the originalists and those like Kennedy and others, who believe in the living Constitution. And it's a pretty severe ideological battle, following the legal text with an eye to what it originally meant. Hmm. And anybody that knows U.S. history would be a little suspicion of what they originally meant, because, yes. like I say, said before, they meant slavery. Yes. They, <laughs> they had a rather narrower view within the stated ambit of the rights and freedoms granted, say, by the amendments and the the general charter. But you don't want to get back into their heads. Civil war and and, and the civil rights movement undid some of that. The Constitution didn't need to be done away with. It was just amended. Mm -hmm. But to go back to the original is dangerous. The other side can run away from you. The living constitutional viewpoint means that you look at the principles enshrined in the Constitution and apply those to the modern dynamic that couldn't have even been imagined to those people living a long time ago. I think it's a reasonable mindset, but of course, in the hands of a person with a social agenda, it it could turn into sort of, it's there because I think it's there, and so uh, let's go with it, you know? (laughs) Yes, yes. Let me just take the last couple of minutes of the program here and just ask you how the Supreme Court, as it's shaping up right now, how's it look for religious liberty? I don't think religious liberty, narrowly speaking, is in immediate and direct trouble. Like Neil Gorsuch, for example, mm-hmm. he had a wonderful statement. I picked it up the other day. He said this, the law doesn't just apply to protect popular religious beliefs. It does perhaps its most important work in protecting unpopular religious mm-hmm. beliefs vindicating this nation's long-held aspiration to serve as a refuge of religious intolerance. That's good news. You know, that's a good statement. Where I think they're playing with fire is on the establishment of religion. Government favoritism to a certain religious viewpoint and government support for some of its agenda and, and its funding. At the same time, many of these same conservative justices, I believe, or not so much the justices, but the factions that put them there, I think, are drifting into substituting for general religious liberty a sense of religious entitlement mm. for, for narrow religious yes. particulars. And actually, that's why this new administration can say nice things about religious liberty at the same time that they bring in, without calling it that, a Muslim ban, say. Yeah. Yeah, you're against one religion, but you talk about religious freedom. <laughs> yes. But uh, I do think that the battle is on establishment right now. And at some point, once a certain religious majority or an American religion gets favorite treatment, it's likely to then use its auxiliaries, perhaps on the Supreme Court, to restrict for some free exercise or their practice of religion. But we're not quite there yet. Mm. Well, we ask the Lord to please hold those winds back a little bit longer so that we can get our work done. And our work, of course, is the work of Liberty Magazine. 
Seventh-day Adventists, if we've got a few seconds, what we believe was an inspired council on this. There was an explanation of what would happen as it's happening, and the suggestion was made from a divine source that the real threat is when the people themselves agitate to their legislators for a change in religious freedom, which I think follows historical trends anyway. Yes, yes, indeed. You know, the French Revolution and other upwellings of populist sentiment can create a very illiberal, anti-libertarian view that could restrict any number of religious viewpoints. www.libertymagazine.org is the website. You can read Lincoln's blogs, listen to these programs. There's resources there, the magazine, all the articles are there, and you can subscribe as well for yourself or someone that you know needs to be receiving the magazine and listening to conversations very much like this on paper. That's at libertymagazine.org. Lincoln Steed is its editor. Thank you, Lincoln, for being with us today. And listener, this is Charles Mills, along with Lincoln Steed, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today.